Psalms 19.13 says that the word of God keeps us back and delivers us from presumptuous and intentional sins. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we begin to enter into the final section of Peter's discussion here on everyday evangelism. See, we as a church family have gone back to the basics here in 1 Peter as we are examining what essential Christianity really looks like, as those who have been chosen by God and yet are experiencing increasing rejection by this world, we need to know what it actually looks like to live as elect exiles in this world for the glory of God. And what Peter's been showing us most recently is that it looks like a life of evangelism. A life of evangelism. Those of us who have been born again, who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we want to pass that goodness on to others. And how we do that as believers is not only through our words, but also through our actions. That's what we've been seeing ever since chapter 2, verse 13. We cannot separate our everyday lives from evangelism. If our unsaved, unredeemed family members, friends, classmates, neighbors, and co-workers are ever going to be interested in hearing about the goodness of the Lord from us, they must at the same time be seeing the goodness of the Lord in us. Otherwise, they'll doubt our message. We as believers must underline the gospel by our lives, not undermine it. We must demonstrate the very saving goodness of Christ himself. And Peter outlined for us exactly how to do that back in chapter 2, verse 17, when he wrote, Be subject, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, and fear God. Those are four concrete ways that we can radiate grace, reflect Jesus, and reach sinners by grabbing their attention every single day. It's by being subject, honoring everyone, loving the brotherhood, and fearing God. And Peter has systematically been showing us each one of those gospel-affirming actions and what they look like. Back in chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, just so you remember, Peter showed us that one of the ways we reflect the saving goodness of the Lord is by being subject. When we properly submit... As scripture commands to the earthly authorities, we are declaring in that moment our firm conviction that there is a heavenly king who is exalted over all, whose name is Jesus, to whom alone all mankind owe their ultimate allegiance. We underline the gospel by being subject. Then in chapter 2, verse 17, on in chapter 3, verse 7, Peter showed us a second way to underline the gospel by our lives, and that is by honoring everyone. When we respond to everyone, even those who hate us, with honor and respect, we show the world that there is a God who dispenses honor and grace even upon his enemies. That is why we're saved. And so we underline the gospel by honoring everyone. And then most recently, we saw from Peter in chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, that we underline the gospel by loving the brotherhood. When we reject the evils of slander and bitterness, and when we love our brothers and sisters with the tender and humble love of Christ himself, we show the world that there is a Father in heaven who in love sent his only begotten Son, and a Father of love who loves his children with a real, true, and transforming love. We underline the gospel by loving the brotherhood. 
Well, this morning, we're going to see the fourth way that we are to reflect that we are to reflect the gospel and the saving goodness of Jesus Christ with our lives, and that is by fearing God. By fearing God. This truth is found in verses 13 through 17 of chapter 3, where we're going to see how essential the attribute of fearing God is to the task of everyday evangelism. In short, you and I will never seek to evangelize the lost around us until we are gripped with a proper fear of God. And then once we do obtain a proper fear of God, that reverence and awe and respect is going to have a powerful evangelistic effect in our lives. It is the fear of the Lord that transforms followers of Jesus into everyday evangelists. Everything that Peter has been saying about evangelism has been leading up to the section that we're about to jump into right now. We're going to discover that this together here in verses 13 through 17 as Peter outlines for us six evangelistic effects of fearing God. Six evangelistic effects that come when we develop a proper fear of God that slowly transforms us into everyday evangelists. So with that in mind, if you would please stand with me out of reverence to the word of God as I read our passage today from 1 Peter chapter 3, starting verse 13 on into verse 17. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us today. Verse 13. Now who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." This is the word of God who seeks us when we go astray by causing us to not forget his commandments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you that it reminds us of who you are and who we are. We thank you, Father, that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path so that when you show us that Jesus Christ is above all, when you do bring us to that place of the cross and you show your love that is shed for us, you do not leave us at that point, but you build into us an awe of you and you guide us on paths where we know this is how we express our appreciation to you. And so, Father, we thank you that you show us this morning that if we know that you are a God of love who loves sinners and can forgive them of their sins, then that truth ought to cause us to talk to others 
about the forgiveness that is found in Christ. Father, cause us to fear you as we ought to so that we might look upon those who are around us not through earthly eyes but through spiritual ones and know that we are here for one purpose and that is to exalt your son Jesus by proclaiming the saving gospel towards those who are lost. Change us, Father, we pray, into a God-fearing people by the power of your word and your spirit at work within us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said before, we're going to begin looking at six evangelistic changes that come into our lives when we obtain a proper fear of God. It is that concept, this idea of fearing God, that is the heart of this passage. And it's made explicit there at the end of verse 14 into the beginning of verse 15 when Peter writes, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now we're going to look at that more later, but what we have there in verses 14 through 15 is a clear call to fear the Lord rather than men. And the reason why is because you and I will never effectively reach the lost until we fear God. And that is why Peter reveals that the fourth and final element to everyday evangelism is this issue of fearing God. Now that might come as a surprise for most of us. Because the fear of God doesn't strike us in our day as being very important to the life of a Christian at all. Let alone the issue of evangelism. In fact, if we're to be honest, the idea of being a God-fearing man or woman sounds a bit archaic and even a little bit wrong. Who wants to be known as a believer that fears God? When's the last time you heard a contemporary Christian music song about that? And you know what? I think that confusion regarding the fear of God is why so many churches are filled with people who lack basic spiritual discernment and perspective on life, who do not know how to navigate as elect exiles in this world. After all, Proverbs teaches us that it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom, and it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. Quite simply, if you never come to fear God and see Him in His utter weight and glory, you will never come to look at life or navigate the issues of life correctly. And we can see symptoms of this all around us and even to an extent when we're being honest within us. Even when we just look at the issues that we've just been looking, about, looking at in the book of First Peter. Think about it. Why are there so many people, even ourselves, who profess faith in Jesus Christ, yet so lightly neglect the command of Jesus to love and fellowship with other believers in worship? Why are there so many people, even ourselves, who claim the name of Christ, yet so lightly ignore the call of Scripture to honor and respect those around us, and instead choose to operate from a position of sarcasm and scorn towards the lost, rather than one of respect and honor? 
And why are there so many people, even ourselves, who call Christ Lord and yet so lightly disregard the family, the state, and the church authorities that God has ordained for our own good? In some cases, it might be because they're not even saved. But one thing that's definitely sure is because they don't fear God how they ought. The reason why so many professing believers seem unable to look at life and navigate it correctly as elect exiles for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel in our day is because there is a great absence of the fear of God in our churches today. And you can see it in the lack of our evangelistic efforts. This should sober us severely. Because to have no fear of God is not a characteristic of the redeemed. To have no fear of God is a characteristic of the unredeemed. As Paul says in Romans 3, verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. God in the eyes and the minds of an unbeliever is a vaporous, light, inconsequential thing. But to those who have come to know God through faith in Jesus Christ, God is the weightiest matter in this universe. To be a Christian is to possess a proper and a right fear of God. After all, as Isaiah 11, 2 through 3 predicted, Jesus himself was anointed with the fear of the Lord, and his delight was in the fear of the Lord. And so to grow in Christ's likeness is to grow in godly fear. As John Murray once wrote, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. In other words, fearing God motivates all other godly desires and aspirations, including everyday evangelism. Now, what is the fear of God? If we're going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks, we better understand exactly what I mean by that. This is the most helpful definition that I've found that I want to remind you of this morning. The fear of God is the reverent reflex of our heart towards God, where the emotions of dread, reverence, and wonder are variously mixed depending on our situation. And that is very carefully worded for a reason. The fear of God is the reverent reflex of our heart. It is primarily an attitude, right, towards God, where the emotions of dread, reverence, and wonder are variously mixed depending on our situation. So for example, and I know you all know this, if you're messing around with sin, a healthy fear of God is going to look like dread. As we fear the firm hand and discipline of God falling upon us, and if we're unsaved, as we dread condemnation and judgment. So that's what the fear of God looks like when we're messing around with sin. But if we're walking in the Spirit, and we're developing a greater sense of the majesty and the glory of God through Scripture and creation, then our fear of God will look more like reverence, wonder, and awe. So while God doesn't change, the nature of how we fear Him does based on how we're relating to Him in that moment. And that is why I say the fear of God is the reverent reflex of our heart towards God where the emotions of dread, reverence, and wonder are variously mixed depending on our situation. 
And ladies and gentlemen, when our hearts are gripped with the fear, reverence, and awe of God, then our lives are going to be marked by everyday evangelism. As we heard this morning in our scripture reading, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 and 20, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others be reconciled to God. It was the fear of the Lord that motivated him in evangelism. Fear of God leads to evangelism of the lost. And that's what we're going to see in verses 13 through 17. We're going to see that knowing the fear of the Lord produces the evangelistic effects of a powerful life. That's from verses 13 through the beginning of verse 14. It produces in us a pious heart. That's at the end of verse 14 into the beginning of verse 15. The fear of the Lord develops in us a prepared mind. There in the middle of verse 15 a polite mouth at the end of verse 15, a pure conscience, verse 16, and a proper perspective in verse 17. So knowing the fear of the Lord produces all of that in the life of a believer. It produces the evangelistic effects of a powerful life of witness, a pious mind towards Christ, a prepared mind in the truth, a polite mouth towards others, a pure conscience towards God, and a proper perspective on life. In short, the fear of the Lord creates everyday evangelists. This morning, we're just going to look at that first point. We're going to be looking... We're going to be looking at that first point of a powerful life. I want you to know I've been looking forward to this moment ever since we began this study. So let's begin. Let's take the adventure that's set before us and see how God is going to teach us and transform us in the truth. Cast down our idols and honor Christ above all in evangelism. So first, Peter shows us here that the fear of the Lord will produce a powerful life. That's in verse 13, the beginning of verse 14, where Peter writes this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. One of the realities that we must face as believers is that if we're ever going to become everyday evangelists, if we're ever going to make disciples as we go about our everyday lives, and if we're ever going to actually deliver with our mouths the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are the closest to us, that we're going to have to deal with a little thing called fear. Fear causes us to be weak in witnessing if we're fearing the wrong thing. Fear causes us to shrink back and be ashamed. And we all know what this looks like. You're talking with an unbeliever, say maybe your grown-up child or your neighbor, and an opportunity comes to very plainly proclaim the saving gospel of Jesus Christ to them in a conversation. And what happens? You freeze. You choke. You become afraid. Afraid of what? Well, we don't often analyze it this much, but in that moment, in that opportunity, in that chance to plainly proclaim the gospel... We're afraid of suffering loss or harm of some kind. We're afraid that if we plainly proclaim the gospel in that moment, that evangelistic action might come back to harm us in some way. Either harm our bodies or harm our relationship with them, or sometimes it is sadly as simple as this, that we're afraid that if we share the gospel, it might harm the amiable, relaxed conversation I've been having. And it might make it a little awkward. 
And so out of fear that the plain proclamation of the gospel might bring harm to the situation that we're in, we shrink back and we're ashamed of the gospel and we tell ourselves, well, it just wasn't a good opportunity. And so let's not even talking about, let's not even talk anymore about proclaiming the gospel. Let's just talk about sharing the gospel, right? Just sharing rather than proclaiming. You know why I know this? That this is what we do? Because this is what I've done. And by the way, our author Peter had as well. If you recall, three times during Christ's trial, he was asked in that courtyard, don't you know him? Is Jesus of Nazareth, weren't you with him? I mean, Peter was teed up. I don't know how many times in your life someone's walked up to you and said, hey, do you know Jesus? Right? Can you, can you tell me about him? Right? Peter was teed up. This didn't get much better than that in terms of an evangelistic opportunity. That was a home run right there. And yet three times Peter denied Jesus completely, even before a servant girl. You say, well, why did he do that? <clears throat> Fear. Fear made him weak in witnessing. But praise the Lord, that wasn't the end of Peter's story. If you recall, Jesus prayed for Peter and he told them, when you have turned again, right? What does he want to do? Strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. And that's exactly what's happening this morning as we study this letter and as I proclaim to you Peter's words this morning. Peter knows what it is like to be weakened by ungodly fear. He knows what it's like to be ashamed and to shrink back from the gospel. He knows what it's like to completely blow it. He has walked this path of weakness just like us, but by God's grace in Christ, he came out on the other side stronger so that he could then turn around and strengthen us in the truths that he himself learned so that he could then write this very letter to us that we're studying now and so equip us in how to replace ungodly fear with godly fear, how to replace fear with faithfulness, and how to live a more powerful life that plainly proclaims the gospels to those who need to hear it. Peter went from weakness to strength and weaknessing, witnessing so that he could help us out of weakness and to strength as well. Because the same grace and truth that transformed Peter is in this passage to change and transform us into becoming everyday evangelists. And so the very first encouraging truth that we need to remember in order to live a more powerful life of evangelism is this, and these are going to be foundational truths that build on each other as we go through this passage. The first truth that produces a powerful life of evangelism is the truth that our present as believers is guarded by God. Our present is guarded by God. This is in verse 13, where Peter writes, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now this is fascinating, because what Peter's giving here is a rhetorical question. In other words, Peter is assuming here an obvious answer. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing what is good? And the obvious answer in Peter's mind is no one, at least no one of consequence. And I think this is fascinating because remember, who is Peter writing to at this moment? He is writing to elect what? Exiles. 
He is writing to displaced and persecuted believers. Believers who have lost their jobs, their families, their homes, their communities, and some would soon be losing their lives. And Peter asks them this rhetorical question. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And I can't help but think that there was a lot of people in his audience thinking, um, a lot of people. I can think of a lot of people who would harm me if I become zealous for the gospel and zealous in doing what is good. And a lot of his listeners would be able to go right back through the list that Peter's been giving ever since verse 13 of chapter 2. Who is there to harm me if I'm zealous for what is good? Well, let's see, my husband might. My wife might. Uh, Let's see, my master might. My governor might. My emperor might. There's a lot of people who might harm me if I'm zealous for what is good. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that's an exchange. Let's be honest. We live in a world that hates zealous Christians. Apathetic Christians, great. Private Christians who keep their faith to themselves, fantastic. Zealous Christians who actually love what God calls as good and are eager to do what God says is good, oh my word, no. If we are zealous for the gospel and zealous for doing what is good, we'd think it's an obvious reality that there are a whole lot of people in this world who would harm us. But that's not what Peter says here. As he considers evangelism from a biblical worldview, Peter's answer to the question, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good, is an obvious no one. No one is there to harm you, at least no one of consequence. Our present is guarded by God as believers. And this is the first truth we need to know about fearing God if we're to live a powerful life of courage for the gospel. It is the truth of, might I call it, Christian invincibility. That is to say, we as believers are totally safe in the loving providence of God. When we are zealous to do what is good, no harm shall come to us save that which God ordains for our good and his glory. We are secure in the sovereign providence of God. Our present is guarded by God. And that's Peter's whole point here. He just said back in verse 12, if you recall, it says, the eyes of the Lord are on who? The righteous, and his ears are always open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Therefore, verse 13, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? The answer is certainly not God, right? When you belong to him, he is for you. And if God is for you, Romans 8.31 says, who can be against you? Do you believe that, believer? Do you believe in the absolute I'm going to say it, sovereignty of God over every event in your life. And that he is absolutely sovereign over every event in evangelism. Because until you believe that, fear will motivate you, but fear of men, not of God. You must know that you are completely protected by God's providence as hebrews thirteen six declares we can confidently say the lord is my helper therefore i will not fear what can man do to me answer nothing that is god's will and god's plan is not already established for god's glory and our good with the lord is my shepherd i will never be forsaken 
We quote this at every funeral. Goodness and mercy will follow me most days of my life, every day of my life. And if everything, ladies and gentlemen, is for my eternal good, then I don't have to be afraid. My present is guarded by God. And that's the connection that Peter's making between verses 12 through 13. These are simple truths. These are hard truths. If I'm in Christ, if God's eyes are always on me, if his ears are always open to my prayers, then who can truly bring me harm if I am in such a blessed state? Answer, no one. No one can curse whom God has blessed. My present is guarded by God. Can I say that this truth is tremendously emboldening for a thousand different reasons beyond evangelism. This is the light that I personally have clung to when all other lights went out. As a child of God, nothing comes into my life that does not first pass through the filter of God's pure and perfect love for me in Jesus And therefore, what others might mean and even see as evil, and sometimes I'm tempted to view it that way, God always and only means for my good and his glory. And so I don't have to be afraid. I can cast myself on God, and I can do as verse 6 of this chapter says, I can do what is good and not fear anything that is frightening, because my present is protected by God. And if you need even more confidence, Peter gives us a second encouraging truth that we need to remember in order to live a more powerful life of evangelism. And that's not only that our present is guarded by God, but also that our future is glory with God. Our future is glory with God. It's the beginning of verse 14 where Peter says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Notice, First, it shouldn't surprise us if we end up suffering. Even when we do what is good and right, because we're Christians. Jesus himself said in John 15, 20, and 25, if the world persecuted me without a cause, they will also persecute you. Did you hear that, by the way? Lest you think the solution to not having the world hate you is by becoming whimsical enough, okay? Did you hear that? If the world persecuted me without a cause, they will also persecute you. Brothers and sisters, there is rapidly coming a time in our society when people will not tolerate even a good life. When the very presence of Christ-like morality and righteousness will irritate those who are lost to the point that they will aggressively attack us. Just three years ago, I I remember a Harvard magazine published an article and was planning on hosting a nationwide educators and social services conference that argued that homeschooling needed to be eliminated. Well, why? It's because they stated there are kids that are learning, quote, conservative Christian values, unquote. Wow. Well, if they have a problem with that, wait till they find out about this thing called the church. And that's why certain advocacy groups right now are arguing for the elimination of parental rights altogether because, as one organizer put it, the very fact that biblical morality is being taught to children is itself abuse, unquote. Brothers and sisters, should the Lord tarry, there are times coming when our society will not even tolerate a good life. So it shouldn't surprise us if we should suffer for righteousness' sake, as Peter says here. 
as Peter is going to say later in chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. For if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Peter's basically doing the same thing here in chapter 3. You will suffer for doing good, so don't let that surprise you. Don't let that make you afraid. Instead, look to the blessing that comes to those who suffer with Christ for righteousness' sake. The blessing of future glory. You will be blessed. As Peter writes later in, in 1 Peter 5, verse 10, he says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So don't be afraid. Look with faith to your future blessing, a future of glory with God. Peter's already taught us this, if you remember, back in chapter 1, verse 7, when he said that the testing of our faith will result in something. He said it will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So don't be afraid. Look with faith to your future blessing. It is a future of glory with God. Paul writes over in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18, he says, So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So don't be afraid. Look with faith to your future blessing, a future of glory with God. You get the point. And this is repeated throughout Scripture. Peter is saying, even if you should suffer without a cause for righteousness' sake, don't be surprised. Don't be afraid. Remember, your future is one of glory with God. Glory awaits you. You will be blessed either way. So don't be afraid. Don't shrink back. Do what is good. Do what is good. So these are the two truths that Peter and we need to remember this week in order to be everyday evangelists towards those who are closest to us. It is the truth that our present is guarded with God and our future is glory with God. First, believer, I want you to remember that your present is guarded by God. How does that apply to evangelism? Listen to this. You don't have to be afraid of what might happen if you show proper subjection. I'll just let this sit there for a while. You don't have to be afraid of what will happen if you honor everyone. You don't have to be afraid of what will happen if you choose to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't have to be afraid if you choose to do what is good, and and let me make this direct. You don't have to be afraid of what might happen to either you or your relationship or your conversation if you are plainly proclaiming the gospel to someone else. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because your present is guarded by God and nothing will come to you that has not first been ordained for God's glory and your eternal good. So don't be afraid. Fear God. Do good. Proclaim the gospel because your present is guarded by God. You don't have to manipulate the circumstance. 
If you have the opportunity, preach it, brother and sister. Preach it. Proclaim the good news. Because your present is guarded by God. Second, and this is the one that really bites, remember your future believer, your blessing, believer, your reward, believer, the thing you ought to be living for is your future of glory with God. You don't have to be afraid. In that moment of the opportunity of evangelism, remember you're not living for this life. Remember, you're not living for that person as much as you might love them. And remember, you're not living for this conversation, for it to go well. You are living for the glory of God. And when you proclaim Christ, he is always glorified. Always. And so while the earthly consequences of doing good and proclaiming the gospel are unknown, the eternal reward for doing so and proclaiming the gospel is absolutely certain. It is a future of glory with God. Remember what you're living for. Remember your reward. There is no such thing as someone who faithfully evangelizes that does not throughout the day remember that their present is guarded by God and their future reward is glory with God. So don't be afraid. This, this is what produces a powerful life of everyday evangelism. It is knowing that God is for me and that glory awaits me. And you know how we can be sure of that? And I just want to finish with this. You know how we can have a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls regarding these promises that if we actually proclaim the gospel in that moment, everything will be okay? That we can actually have a present guarded by God and a future glory with God. And how can we be absolutely sure of that? It's because of Jesus. And this is where every discussion about evangelism needs to go. It's because of Jesus. We see these blessings hold true in Christ's life. And therefore, as we follow in his footsteps, as chapter 2 verse 21 states, being united with him in faith, we know that these blessings are going to hold true in our lives as well. So think about it for a moment. When it comes to having a present that is absolutely guarded by the providence of God, do we see that with the life of Christ? Oh yeah, and we see the boldness and courage it gave Jesus throughout the time as well. Jesus Jesus was absolutely convinced of his protection in the providence of God. Two examples really quick. One, Luke 13, verses 31 through 32. Some Pharisees, if you remember this story, they tried to go up to Jesus and frighten him away from preaching the gospel by saying this. The Pharisees came up and they pretended like they were concerned about him and they said, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. But Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform miracles today and tomorrow and on the third day I'll finish my course. In other words, you nor Herod nor no one else can touch me until the hour that God has already ordained. I am safe in the sovereignty of God. He wrote my days before I even lived one of them here on earth. And so I'm not afraid. I'm going to keep on preaching the gospel like God told me to do. And again, when Jesus stood before Pilate, right? Jesus, Pilate's like in John, he says, don't you know that I have authority to free you and authority to kill you? And Jesus replied to him, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you by my father. Jesus knew nothing at all could touch him that did not first come through the filter of God's loving and sovereign providence. And so he lived a powerful life of witness, brothers and sisters, who followed Jesus in that same path. You are to live that same type of life. 
We who are united to Jesus by faith are united to that same blessing and promise as well. Who can harm us? Of whom do we need to be afraid? No one. No one except God. And when it comes to looking towards a future that is glory with God, we see that with Jesus as well and him being able to live a life of courage. Remember Hebrews 12, verse 2. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In the face of such tremendous fear, fear that even caused him to sweat drops of blood in the garden, he looked to the future in faith. He remembered who he was living for, not my will, but yours be done. And he knew he had a future of glory with God, and that gave him courage in the darkest of times to continue his redemptive work Brothers and sisters, we who are united with Christ in faith are united to that same blessing and promise also. His glory is ours as we are one with him. For even if we should suffer for righteousness sake, we will be blessed, blessed with a future of glory with God. Remember what you're living for. It's not this life. It's not that person It's not that conversation. You're living for the glory and honor of God. So fear. Don't fear man. Fear God. So believer, this week as we consider this great task of everyday evangelism, I hope you're doing more than just filling your minds. I hope we don't get done with this whole study on evangelism and it never causes us to talk to one single person about Christ. I hope God is burdening your heart for someone you know that hasn't trusted in him. And I, I pray that God would cause us to fear him enough to share the gospel. This week, as we consider the great task of everyday evangelism, as we anticipate, listen to this, the opportunities that God will give us to plainly proclaim the gospel to our family members, to our friends and our classmates and our coworkers, I I encourage you, let's fight our fear with faith now so that in those moments we may demonstrate powerful lives that are emboldened by these truths that we've already embraced that our present is guarded by God and our future is glory with God. In light of that, whom do we need to be afraid of? No one. No one except God alone. We'll have to look at the rest later. But for now, this is the powerful life of witness that fearing God produces. And for now, this is the word of God from 1 Peter 3. 13 through 14, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience in the fervent care of one another until our glory and our present guardian returns. To that end, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Oh, it is... We thank you for the word on evangelism, that it is sweet like honey, It is encouraging as we remember the truths that we can claim in Christ this week 
as we think about that family member that's never surrendered their life to Christ, as we think about that coworker we've been avoiding, as we think about those conversations and those relationships that we've made idols over the fear of you, we thank you, Father, that, that you have reminded us of your present protection and the future blessing of glory that awaits us who follow Jesus. Father, we also know that the word on evangelism is not only sweet, it's bitter, but because we consider the state of those who have not trusted in in your son, Jesus Christ. We know the testimony from your word that the wages of sin is death. So help us, Father, to offer the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us this week, Father, to operate under a proper fear of you. Remember what we're living for. May you be honored and glorified in our efforts to preach and proclaim the gospel plainly to those we love the most. Give us courage and give us a proper fear of you towards this end. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.